Hopefully we can kind of begin this series that we're starting this week with lambs, Levites, and laws, making sense of the book of Leviticus, and we can kind of approach it the same way, like eyes big going, I didn't know we were going to go here, right? Like, I think last week when Dave mentioned that we were headed into a new series, applause broke out after we said Leviticus. <laughs> no, I've had more questions this week. It was like, was he serious? Like, why? Why are we doing Leviticus? Um, I, I think we can, we can kind of look at this um, and question why are we doing Leviticus. Honestly, Leviticus should probably hold the record for ruining the most Bible reading plans um, like if you've ever done the year-long Bible reading plan, yeah, Leviticus wins that um, for ruining it for us. Um, but I guess our hope through this series would be that we can make sense of what this book is all about. That it doesn't have to be something scary or, or crazy, but really that we can understand why it's in our Bibles and why we have it to hold today as a part of God's Word. So before we dive into it, um, let's take a moment to pray. God, I thank you that we get to hold your word in our hands, and that includes Leviticus. Um, God, we're so grateful that you put your word with us so that we can learn to grow in our love for you, that we can follow you better. And God, we can also understand the love that you have for us. So God, we ask that you would open our ears today to hear from Leviticus and to hear from you uh, what you might be telling us. God, we love you and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be reading from the book of Leviticus. If you want to open up there, uh, you got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Like, it's probably not bookmarked for you, I'm sure. Um, not the one that we're normally spending our time in. But Leviticus is a book that's written by Moses. It gets its name from the tribe of Levi. Uh, that This was the tribe that was chosen, and they were given the job to maintain the temple. And at this point, it's the tabernacle, which is like a temporary temple that's a tent set up. Uh, it's to, meant to be the dwelling place of God. And so they are supposed to serve there. Um, as kind of as we're looking into what Leviticus leads into, and back in the book of Exodus, we, we look at the Israelites that are living in Egypt in slavery. And uh, God leads Moses to free them from their slavery there. So uh, as the Israelites are leaving Egypt, God leads them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by not, night. And that's God's presence with them, leading them and guiding them. And after that, we see that God takes the Israelites uh, to Mount Sinai, where, where God's going to give Moses the Ten Commandments. And we see the, the cloud at the top of the mountain where God's presence was with them, but it was at the top of the mountain from a distance um, that God was still with them. So God was dwelling at the top in the cloud. But then these Ten Commandments are given, they're rules and laws that are really put in place to help give direction to all of us, to, to see how can we best follow after God so that we're not covered in sin and become impure or sinful. So part of what we look at today through, through the book of Leviticus is understanding what, um, that, that God is 100% holy. He is pure, without blemish. There is nothing that can come before him that does not the same, that, that is pure. But that's a problem for us and also for the Israelites is they're supposed to be coming before God because even as God's giving Moses the guidelines, he's giving him the Ten Commandments, like God's up there speaking to him, writing down the Ten Commandments. While that's all happening, they're down at the bottom worshiping a golden calf. Like as this is all happening, God's making a way for them to, to have this relationship. They've already ruined it. Like they've already been marred by sin 
even as this is being done. So we get to Leviticus. It's obvious that we need help in this relationship because we're very quick to mess it up on our own. So today we're going to look at that God's holiness, it requires atonement for sins. Really, God, God is holy, and holy means to be set apart, to be sacred, to be completely pure without blemish. And God alone is holy. But because he is so pure and without sin, without blemish, um, when we approach God and we have sin in our lives, we're unable to be close with him. But yet God still desires that relationship with us. He wants to be close with us, but because of the sin in our lives, it's, it's like those magnets that are pushing against each other or something like we just can't be together because of the impurity and the sin in our lives. So something has to happen to reconcile us, to bring us back together, to bring it back that relationship that we have with God. So the book of Leviticus helps us to actually understand that problem that we have. Believe it or not, right? It helps us to understand this problem that we have and how it can be reconciled. And I think maybe as I studied this week, maybe it kind of blew my mind that at the beginning of Leviticus, we see that God spoke to Moses from the tent. It says from the tent. Like there's, there's distance between God and Moses. That Moses is outside the tent. God speaks to him from there. But when you fast forward to the book of Numbers, the very first verse says that God spoke to Moses in the tent. There's closeness of relationship. So somehow through the book of Leviticus, that relationship has been somehow mended. And so I think we need to pay attention to what's happening there because this problem of being able to be close with God, um, somehow it's remedied through this book of Leviticus so that we can see how God's holiness, as it requires that atonement for sin, somehow that's, that's taken care of through this book. So the very first thing we want to see as we, we're looking through this and as we are considering why are we studying all this, um, first of all, is that God speaks his truth to us. And that's seen very clearly here in the book of Leviticus. That we can think it's, it's a bunch of rules and laws and stuff that's it's all like, ah, oh, that's a long time ago. That's not for us anymore. Um, but w- when we get into it, we need to understand, I guess, first of all, like 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that all Scripture is breathed out by God. That's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. And if we believe that to be true, then we should know that all Scripture being breathed out by God does not exclude any book of the Bible. It also should include Leviticus in that as well. So there is importance to this book, and that God speaks His truth to us. And in the book of Leviticus, He actually speaks His truth a lot. So 38 times in the book of Leviticus, it says that God speaks. God is speaking to people. Then another 18 times, God commands things. So he's speaking commands. So 56 times throughout this one book, God is speaking to Moses and also to us through this book. So I think if we really want to hear God's voice better, I can often think, man, I I wish God would just clearly tell me what to do or give me direction. But if we're looking for God's voice, if we're looking for his guiding and leading, if we have a book where God is speaking directly to us 56 times, I think we probably ought to listen up. So in the very first verse, like I mentioned before, that God is speaking right in the very first verse, that the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, well, from the tent of meeting, we'll talk about the saying, what next? But God speaks his truth to us. And I love this because this is from a place of, of desiring the closeness of relationship. And it may not always feel like it is, is Leviticus can feel like a, a long book of 
laws and rituals and sacrifice, but we have to see his heart in it all is that he desires closeness as he speaks to us. The next thing we see in this is that God invites us to meet with him. Like he actually wants, wants to be close to us because the second verse then says that, that Moses is to speak to the people of Israel, to say to them, when any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offerings of livestock from the herd or from the flock. I, I love that this happens, that, that God is speaking to the Israelites while they are impure. Like it's, it's in their sinfulness that he speaks to them. Because ever since Genesis, God has desired that closeness of relationship with us. And it's easy for me to look at my own life and I see my own flaws. I can be my own worst critic that I can see all my failures and flaws, and I can think, man, I don't, I don't know if God would want a close relationship with me because I know all the places where I mess up. But it's even here that we see God wants to have a closeness of relationship. So even in the Garden of Eden, as Adam and Eve took the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they introduced sin into the world, God sought them out in the garden, sin and all, he sought them out, even in their sin. And even in Exodus, while God is meeting with Moses on the top of the mountain and, and they're back worshiping the golden calf that they've made, God's still seeking them out. It's during their disobedience that God still is making a way for them to have relationship with them. And then again, here in Leviticus, God is making a way. Even when the Israelites are impure, they're, they're covered with sin— He's making a way for them to get rid of those impurities, to be able to come back to have closeness with God again. And so we look at like even the book, the, the New Testament, that we'd probably love to skip over Old Testament, Leviticus, and go to New Testament, but we already covered Romans. And Romans 5, 8 tells us that God showed his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. All through the Bible, God invites us into this relationship with him, to, to be close with him again and he doesn't wait for us to clean ourselves up. He's not saying, go, go fix all your problems, come back when, you're, when you got life figured out. God's inviting us in, impurities and all, sinfulness and all, and he says, I want relationship with you. But there's a little bit of a catch because like, we want that relationship, but the catch to it is that God is holy. He's pure, he's set apart, and we live sinful lives, and we're not holy, we're not pure. And so Leviticus is all about how do, we, how do we fix this divide that's between us when God is so holy and pure and we're impure. So the example is given of, of kind of like the sun. The sun is a beautiful thing. We, we love it, especially as we see our days starting to get shorter. We know winter's coming. It's like go and, and soak up the sun, enjoy those days. Um, we know that the sun gives life. It's powerful. It's good. It's unlike any other star that we have. It's an amazing thing but I don't see SpaceX uh, trying to like take tours to the sun because it's so cool, right? That we're going to be like going to the sun on vacation or like we have respect for what the sun is. Like we know the power that it holds and all impurities that would go would be destroyed. The sun would completely destroy it. And so I think when we look at what this barrier that we have between us and God, there's this barrier of sin and impurities for not following God's laws. But now that we have some of these laws, and some of them are not required of us today that we read through the Old Testament, but still 
we break God's rules, we become impure. So the very next thing we see is that our, our sin or those impurities are going to require some sort of atonement. So it continues on then in verses 3 and 4 to say, when we bring that offering, if that burnt offering is from the herd, he's going to offer, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting that he may be acceptable before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. So this requirement for us is to be accepted before God. It requires this atonement. And that word atonement, I think, is, is good. Like, we can break it up and say that we are meant uh, to be one. We are meant to be one with God, that we are supposed to be reconciled back to Him, like that banking term of, like, if you have debts, those debts have to be paid to be reconciled, to be brought back uh, in balance. So being impure uh, puts us at that imbalance, that, that we, are, we have that distance between us and a holy God, that, and that needs to be brought back together, or a payment is still due. And as we read over this summer from, from Romans, that the wages of sin or what we earn ourselves for sin is death. So that deficit is earned because of our impurities, and there's a payment that's going to have to be made, and actually a life that has to be given in payment for it. And so that's what is brought here, and it's a hard thing to understand. There's a whole lot of sacrifice and blood, and honestly, I pass out really easily. So as I read through this chapter, I'm like, whew, this is a little descriptive of blood and things, and I'm going, I, th I was jokingly saying, I'm going to have to like bring a stool up here to something to like make it through uh, this chapter. The scene is laid out pretty detailed that the sacrifices are made, that the, the, the blood is thrown against the altars. I can get lightheaded thinking about it, um, but blood is the symbol of life. Without the blood, the animal no longer lives. But that blood is to be given to, to cover or atone for the sins. And so that atonement or that, that reconciling, the paying off in, of, of that debt is to wipe away the debt that's owed. And so this sacrifice is made to help to, to remove those sins. And it even shows that symbolic kind of passing on of the sin of, onto that that pure animal, the unblemished animal, said that to put, you're to lay your hand on the head of the burnt offering is a way to like, to transfer my sins onto that animal, to take away my sins, and then it pays for me. That because of its sacrifice, then it might make me pure. And as harsh and pass outworthy as all of that might seem, it's the way that God provided for us that it didn't have to be our own blood. It didn't have to be our own lives that had to be given in order for us to become pure again. That we would still be able to come and have this relationship with him. But these sacrifices were made daily and weekly and monthly and yearly. Like this was a continual process of constant sacrifices made. All in order to try to keep themselves pure to be able to have closeness of relationship with God. And I think that, that whole, the whole idea of this can seem so taxing and overwhelming to me to think, how could they continue to do this day after day? But I think more than anything, it shows me how great God's love is. That he, he put this process into place so that we can be close with him. Because without this process, that sin still has to be paid for. And it'd be required of us 
but he provides a way for that to happen. So God provides this means for the atonement. So it's out of God's great love that he provides the means for us to be reconciled, to remove those impurities, the sinfulness that we have in our own lives. And I, I love that even, I love that we see this kind of strung throughout the Bible, that even in Genesis, after Adam and Eve, Eve had sinned, they realized that they were naked in the garden. God clothed them with an animal, that he provided a sacrifice to, to cover them even in that moment. And even for here, as God is going to be in this tabernacle, this, this temporary temple, that wasn't God's long-term goal. Like, he actually wanted to be close with us. He wanted to live with mankind as it was intended to be in Genesis, to walk in the cool of the evening. I love that idea of going out for the evening stroll with God, to have that type of closeness with God. But yet here, the best they can do is go to the priest, and the priest can go before God. God wanted to be with all mankind, so there was going to have to be a sacrifice that was, that was greater, that was a better sacrifice that was perfect, once and for all sacrifice that would be able to take away all impurities and allow all of us to have relationship with God. But I think this is why this whole sacrificial system was put into place hundreds and hundreds of years before God sends that perfect and greater sacrifice, because we all have to understand the magnitude of what, what our sins actually do when they're making us impure and causing that distance between us. So we needed to understand that so that God could send Jesus as the perfect and final means for our atonement. It's with the idea of sacrifice concretely put in our minds that they would have been making these sacrifices over and over and over that it's when they see that they understand it, it's so much a part of their lives. Once they understand that, they're going to understand what sacrifice looks like. They're going to understand what forgiveness looks like what it means to have a right relationship with God, to be made pure again. But then this was the perfect moment for God to show that same idea in a greater sacrifice, the perfect and final sacrifice. So we read that in Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verses 8 to 14. It says, When he said, said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in the sacrifices and the offerings, the burnt offerings, the sin offerings, and those are offered according to the law. And he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first, all of the law sacrifices, in order to establish the second. And by that we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices that never actually take away the sins. They're just removing impurities, but they're not taking away our sin. But when Jesus had offered them, all had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are who being sanctified. God's desire wasn't just to have sacrifices made. It wasn't for this just to be, to be repeating over and over and over, but his desire underneath of it all was to have relationship with us. So he made that possible through sending Jesus to come and live a perfect life, to take on our sins as the perfect spotless lamb that would 
take on our sins like they put the, head, put the hand on the head of the lamb to pass on those sins. That's the same way Jesus took on our sins, offered on our behalf so that when Jesus came, he put an end to this animal sacrifices. He offered himself in, in our place, but Jesus took that place. He was offered as the perfect sacrifice once and for all. And I love that his sacrifice is powerful enough to be able to do that, to take on all the impurities of our lives. So most of the time we can think of impure things, and I have three kids that are getting everything messy, and it seems to like just pass on the mess everywhere, right? We think of impurities like as soon as everything gets touched, it's all impure. Like everything's messy, dirty, dirty, dirty. But it wasn't that way when Jesus entered the scene. When he went through, the impurities didn't make him impure. He actually passed on his own purity through his sacrifice. So this is for you, it's for me, and it's, it's for everyone that's to come. A sacrifice once and for all. As the band makes their way up here, I think we look through the book of Leviticus, and it's, we'll be looking at it for a few weeks, and we can be surprised by what we learn. We, we can Maybe it's not all what we expected. Maybe it's not all about the laws, the rituals, the priests, the sacrifice, all of those things that can like almost scare you away from reading it. But I think it paints this picture for us to see and understand at greater depth. The sacrifice that has to be made for us by sending Jesus to die on the cross. And it doesn't matter what you've done in your own life, if, your life, if you think your life measures up, because I can look at it and think, I'm probably not worthy of this sacrifice. But it's not what I've done to earn it or deserve it. But it's out of God's great love for me that he sends Jesus to take our place, to be the sacrifice for us, the perfect sacrifice that would reconcile all of us. But it's all because of his love for us. So as we walk through the book of Leviticus over the next few weeks, lean into this idea that God is speaking to us through this book. You might be shocked by what's happening, by how far God would go to bring us back to relationship with him. But lean into it and be ready to see what God does. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the book of Leviticus. I thank you for speaking to us. And God, I thank you for sacrifices that make it possible for us to have close relationship back to you. We especially thank you for Jesus being the perfect sacrifice for each and every one of us. God, I ask that you would just mold our hearts to, to strive after you and to live in a way that, uh, that recognizes the sacrifice that you made. God, we love you and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand as we sing?
the name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. You didn't want heaven without us. So Jesus, you brought heaven down. My sin was great, your love was greater. What could separate us now? What a wonderful name it is. What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a wonderful name it is. What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a wonderful name it is. What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a wonderful name it is. What a wonderful name it is. The